cold, 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 cold play sucks. They like just have their own formula. They probably have mathematicians or some weird shit to develop their the a new song. It's like, hey, make it in this key and it'll sound cool. And they just do a bunch of layering and studio crap to do it. And then you look at a band like Slayer. Every single one of their albums, when you hear it, it's like, that's fucking Slayer. Bang your fucking head. With us today in the studio is Edward Machachik from Arizona, formerly of the band Sam Aveda. And we're going to be talking about metal music, and I cannot wait to get started. In fact, we've already been talking about it. We've been talking about Testament. We've been talking about Exodus. Of course, I brought up the 80s. But we've been talking about what makes metal so great. What influences the greatest sound in the universe. <laughs> yeah. In the case of Metallica, since they basically helped invent a genre, I don't think anyone, any outside force couldn't influence them. You know what I mean? So like, even if someone came in and was like, hey, try this, they, they had a big fuck you attitude all the time because that's what made them popular. Like they were just, they want to play punk faster and heavier and they hated disco. So they started just making, I mean, it was, the ones I like a lot were going to, out of the bay was going to be like it's testament slayer exodus and metallica and they all stayed true to what they felt was what they wanted to express to this day i think like exodus is still coming out with new albums and it's awesome and what we were saying about people getting a niche it's very interesting because like i hate like i said coldplay sucks they like just have their own formula they probably have mathematicians or some weird shit to develop their the a new song it's like hey make it in this key and it'll sound cool and they just do a bunch of layering and studio crap to do it. And then you look at a band like Slayer. Every single one of their albums, when you hear it, it's like, that's fucking Slayer. Like, it does, like they still go hard. Even after Jeff Hanahan died, they, like their newest album still sounds awesome. So whenever Slayer comes, like, well, they're done. But whenever Slayer, if they come out with a new album, if I don't even have to listen to it before buying it because I know exactly what I'm going to get. But somehow they've managed to survive for what is it now three decades playing thrash metal, which is basically just power chords, and they still make new songs with this basic formula that sound awesome and brand new. Yeah, I would say that Slayer sound still changes throughout their albums and stuff, especially oh, like yeah, the absolutely. earlier stuff. To like when you hit the two thousands, every it, it, it's very reminiscent of what Slipknot was doing around at the same time as well. And that's again like there's another there's a band called Opeth, and I, I think, love Opeth. Yeah, yeah. so they I've got a up, lot of critical opinions about Opeth. Really? Well, the thing about Opeth that I think is they are what I think is are are you like genuine musicians and genuinely true to themselves and their art? Because what happened is like, well, for example, you look at Master's Apprentice, one of their songs, it's heavy as hell and it's growly. They're, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's undeniably heavy metal. And then they released an album later on. Like, they were surprised people in the States were listening to them. Like, you know, it's, it's a cool story. If you look into, like, their whole discography and then if you listen to the guys talking about what they did, it's pretty remarkable. And they, you know, they created metal albums, but then they didn't want to keep doing the same thing. And then it just so happens they rented an apartment to write their new album. They're all together and everything. But all they were listening to was uh, Stevie Wonder. So that's like, you know, you know, that's funny. You say that 
No, yeah, I was just going to add that, like, when I was, there's a couple of times in my life I've been on tour buses uh, for bands because a friend of mine ran tour buses. And sometimes it was like a punk or a punk metal band. And it always interested me that when I was on the bus with those guys, they were listening to like Michael Jackson. Just like, you know, they didn't listen to the the, the genre of music that they made. Like, so it's interesting, I guess, to see what musicians, at least for me, what musicians listen to, Which you know, is, what inspires them. If we go back to, uh, so a lot of like when I was playing music a lot more or like when I was trying to make a career out of it. I would just, you know, you read about all the guitarists and everything and you, you like try to get their stories and stuff, but they, it, it was, it's very interesting because what they would, some of them, except for Kerry King. So Kerry King's a guitar player for Slayer. Whenever they say what's on your iPod or whatever, I like, you know, now it's like Spotify. All he listens to is metal. Right. And he's like nothing but metal, but other guitar players, you know, it's blues, jazz players. Like I, if you look at my Spotify, the range of different genres I listen to is like, yeah, I was in a metal band, but I've also been like, you know, marching band and different, like, you know, orchestra and stuff like that. So there's, there's a lot of other, that's why when we were renting. Your, your foundation songs, of music theory was, was broad. Yeah. And now like or my, is broad. The, the music I liked was very different, which is very weird because the music I listened to and the music we made wasn't necessarily the same, you know? What kind of music were you making? Yeah, tell we, us about the we song like, data. I don't know. I don't. It, it's weird. Like now, there's a lot more bands that sound like what we, what we were doing. Because myself and Dolan Lewis was the, he was like the talent of the band. He was by far, yeah, he was an incredible guitar player. He and I just loved classical music, and we tried to implement classical, uh, just like ideas or structures to our guitar solos or our music or our riffs or, or okay. you know, anything like, like symphonic metal pretty much. It, no, like kind of, but not really. Cause symphonic metal is usually like the keyboardist is the one that uh, orchestrates everything, kind of puts everything together. And it's very like big. Like when you think of like symphonic metal, you think of more like uh what's a good big like Arian or something. I don't know who they are, but probably. <laughs> and they have like you should, you should pick them out, yeah. Like it, it that's not really my cup of tea is like symphonic metal. Like I like them, but the guitarists are usually good. I just can't stand the singers. But so yeah. we were we were a big mix of things cuz uh when we'll just talk about basically the we'll say the the makeup of the band will be what the band was when we split up. So then that was also with uh uh, Tim Preciado and then Joe Green. Tim was very much in the same music I was into, so like Morbid Angel and Cannibal Corpse, Pantera, Metallica. Then also bluesy, doom metal, like punk. So we listened to a lot of the sim like similar things, and a lot of our songs jumped around a lot. So there'd be like heavy riffs in the beginning, but then what Dolan and I kept on trying to do is not if we're both playing like just how to harmonize or how to play melodies that could survive on their own but then doing two completely different things that somehow work together which is something a lot of guitar players okay. are doing these days anyway was that unique to was it unique to you guys at the time do you think that that was like something you were inventing or is uh, that part of like the sound you were trying to create like oh, to make to be memorable did. oh we definitely didn't uh we didn't 
invented by any means. No, like a lot, like the first time I heard something close to it that blew my mind was a band called Children of Bodom. And oh, yeah, yeah that, that like the first time hearing them, it was almost like, you know, when you read a book and someone's able to uh, put on the words like things that you thought were very abstract and you couldn't communicate to someone else. That was basically right. like we had an idea of what we wanted to do in terms of how to write our melodies or anything like that. And he, yeah, those two guys completely just nailed it. So that was the musical version of, uh, uh, of someone smarter than you writing what you're thinking exactly. pretty much. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, it's, <laughs> like, <they'll, laughs> I know it, what that feels like. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the old tale, you know, like if we go back to, uh, so it's hard to judge bands like when you say that they got worse or better or whatever, like, so for example, if we go back to big bands like Metallica, their first album is going to have some of the most impressive songs because when you think about it, when they, whenever they released it, let's say, I don't know how old they were. Let's just say they were 18. I forgot, but let's just say they were 18. They were, they were right out of high school. Yeah. yeah. So they were writing that album since they picked up a guitar when they were, let's say 13, you know, when Children of right, Bodom came out right, with their first album, they've been writing that album since they started. So there's like hundreds of songs you just create or hundreds of riffs or little melodies that get, you get stuck in your head and then you start making developing songs out through that. But that's ha- you have like, there's no time limit. You know, you're just writing songs. But then if you get signed, that's why it's called like the sophomore slump. You get signed, like everyone's all excited. They're like, oh, this is it. This is what we've been working for or whatever, like whatever the hell they're going to look at it you have a deadline now so you they're like we need this album by next year yeah it's like and then that's when you get into the issue of where the hell do those songs come from which is like a a very interesting thing that a lot of people aren't looking into in terms of all art so when you think of like just like painters musicians photographers like what anything that that you need to create something out of thin air like where the hell is that coming from so i forgot what the artist's name was but he just said like he was a vessel oh tesla was one of them he said that he none of the ideas he had Mm. were his they just came from Mm. like he was just he he was just a vessel that it came in from so that's why i I think it's tough to judge bands on what they turn into and that's why metallica is so impressive or slayer or pantera like they're first three or four albums like they were pumping them out and they made memorable songs and they kept they kept true to themselves but they had such a good connection with each other that they were able to somehow leave their bodies open to get all any influence they needed to actually create something that was good which i think is hard well the build of who matters right like they're like one thing i think is pretty unique to metal for me at least is the motivation behind the songs and the music, right? That's why it's very, and I know it's born from, from jazz anyway, but metal to me is very similar to blues and jazz in that sense that like you mentioned early on in the band's career, that's where their energy is the strongest. That's where their, their message is the loudest per se. Right. It's like it, once they get signed and they become a huge band, they become rich people basically. Then their lives change. Right. Oh, the things yeah, that they, they're at. Yeah. Their starving aspir- yeah. Their yeah, aspirations change, their emotions change. So that affects the music too. And you see that, especially I think in metal, because like in pop music for me, at least, and a lot of other genres of music, it seems like the intent is always sort of just to get, the listener's attention whereas with metal or blues 
or even jazz, the intent is just to let out the expression, not necessarily to attract anyone to listen to it. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I yeah. It, it, I think we're we over glorify though, and that was an issue I had when I when we were trying when we were writing mm-hmm. songs. Like I thought everything was so important. It's like you're just yeah. It, like every song, it's not going to change the fucking world, and your philosophies and ideas you about what's. Uh, I mean, realistically, no one's going to give a fuck about Metallica in a hundred years, and they might, but like all the bands that came after them and stuff, it's like. People already don't really care about Mozart, and that motherfucker wrote the most incredible things, and he wrote hundreds of songs, like all he did. And that wasn't mm-hmm. only hundreds of songs for a four-piece band. That was for an entire orchestra, and that guy wrote it with yeah, – yeah. that, That's you something know? I could never understand how one person can think of so many different moving parts at once – of like like a like an orchestra right it's like you have to think of brain. each yeah. yeah you have to think of each like section each instrument know how to each instrument works and, and what they, the sounds transpo- they can make you got to transpose all the things that like so basically like each instrument has its own key that it defaults to so like perfect example a trumpet's a b flat so a c on a piano is b flat like a C on a piano is always going to be C. It's like middle C is middle C, and that's kind of what you can mm-hmm. orchestrate an entire mm-hmm. uh, symphony around. But a trumpet's going to be – it's a B-flat instrument. So, like, they and their brains can transpose everything out, and they were able to write so many of them. So I think, like, a lot of problems that – I mean, after we were able to record music and stuff, like, every, every band thinks that they're changing the world and they're so important and their philosophies and ideas are – like people are going to read the lyrics and sit around and be like, wow, this guy's a philosopher. It's like, no, you're just a dumbass 18-year-old kid with a bunch of angst and drinks a lot of beers with his buddies and you write cool songs. Like that's what like – Is that what think, you told yourself when you guys are doing it? Like, oh, man, what, yeah. What was, what was the oh, conversation you oh, had with oh, yourself when you're in it? Oh, shit. Uh, us and every band we ever talked to, like everyone thought that like the lyrics really mattered. And, and, and that's another thing like – Perfect example, Metallica, people keep going back to Metallica. Well, it's about metal, so you kind of have to. But, like, you know, they're like, oh, well, they they really had a lot of things to say. It's like they had a – like, what's one song that we could use as an example? Trapped Under Ice. It's like, like it's a one, song about being trapped trail, under yeah. ice. It's like it's like with the, the fucking song, it's it's a killer song, and it's awesome. But it's like there's – read the lyrics to that. They're not trying to, like – change people's yeah. mind or philosophically alter someone's perception of reality. It's like <laughs> you're trapped. It's, I mean, yeah, there, there's probably some uh, metaphors in that shit, but I don't know. It's well, that's what I like uh cannibal course because they're just like yeah. blatantly like just make it outrageous to like, just, yeah. just be outrageous with your lyrics, you know, and, and corpse grinder. He literally writes. Well, I don't know him personally, but they, uh, like he like has a thesaurus. So he just looks up, brutal words and just writes lyrics around it like someone yeah. just sitting there chugging that's along literally it's like, how i write yeah it's like is it, yeah it's also like what's another word for brutal? i just have a thesaurus they're just like i need a i need a word that sounds cooler right yeah, now exactly so <laughs> there was a, when you use one word too many times it gets, loses its meaning so you have to bring in a whole new fresh word that means the yeah. same thing though and how, yeah. Many, yeah. Times, try, yeah. how many times can good. you just say brutal or gruesome but can of course they're yeah, they're, yeah that's another band dude every one of their albums they do change the sound a little bit, but they like that's a, that's a big difference. So they change their sound, but they're still true to what they want to do. You know, like that because as a guitar player, right? So I look at a lot of, I don't, I, I 
I look at new albums or new songs or anything that comes out even now, my head always goes to the guitar first. And I listen to it again, and then the whole band starts kind of coming together, right? Like, then I can hear the bassist, and I can hear the drummer. Usually, it's drummer and the guitarist, because those are my two favorite things when they mesh together well. But, like, Cannibal Corpse, mm. they you get tired of a guitar tone. So then, you know, you you change your guitar tone a little bit. You, let's say you buy a new amplifier, and people are like, oh, you changed your sound. It's like, yeah, I wanted it to sound <laughs> I wanted to cut out the mids a little differently or like, you know, they, they get excited about something else. Well, the first time the amp that I fell in love with, I remember sitting in guitar center and I was just trying them all out and it wasn't particularly like a new metal album. So like, you know, not new metal amp rather as time progressed, distortion and the way the amps were developed got just heavier and deeper. And then like basically trying to get rid of a bass player because the bass in music is the <laughs> fucking bass player, you know, but the guitar players are like, it's not heavy enough. It's like, get a bass player, you dumbass. But they, <laughs> you know, too many guitar players just like default and start playing bass. And that's when you can tell when a band is actually a band or when it's just three guitar players, one that just kind of sucked more than the other two. So we picked up a bass and then wrote nothing impressive. Like, what if you like our mutual friend, Cyrus? He's a phenomenal bass player. So he's actually played over one of our our, our demo from Sam Aveda. he played bass over it and wrote some awesome ass licks and it's like god damn if we only knew each other when we were doing that and then actually the bass player mm. that we ended up getting joe green we needed to re-record things to have his input to put things in there because the first time joe listened to anything we recorded because i wrote i played bass for our demo and he was like man it's so obvious a guitar player wrote this and it's like just their their mindset and their mind frame of how they perceive music is totally different. But like back to like it's what, that much difference between a bass a bass player and a regular guitar player. I th I think a true bass player, yeah, because when like I said, when yeah. I listen to songs, I hear guitar and drummer. They hear the bass writer, mm -hmm. you know. So that's mm -hmm. like their whole uh, perception of what music is is different. It's coming from a different angle, which makes it sound better. But like the first time I listened or when I was buying my first actual real amp, which was uh, Marshall JCM 2000 dual lead, I loved that thing. But it was, you know, Marshalls were big in the 80s and 70s and I was playing in the mid 2000s. So there was other band, other amps coming out that were way heavier, sounded like way crispier and stuff. But for some reason, I just still liked this. But I remember when I plugged into it, I was trying all the other ones out. They sound a little heavier, but I remember turning the volume up slowly. It was, I was just chugging along. I was just turning it around. And it sounded like a, my fucking brain went to a vortex. And I went to it. It was so cool. It's like, <laughs> like it warped somewhere else. I'm like, oh, man, this is it. It was so cool. But I, I became obsessed with that amp. But, yeah, like bass player like Cyrus or Joe, they, you know, they most of them like true bass players. Uh, let's not say that. You know, they have a whole different <laughs> perception of what it is. Like, they don't use picks. They, like, slap it. There's so many different techniques that they can use. And then they base their bass melody off of what the drummer's doing at a completely different angle than a guitar player would. Did you ever listen to a band called Clutch, either of you guys? You ever heard yeah. of Clutch? Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. So Clutch, Clutch, what I like, what I think, I think what is the most familiar about Clutch is their bass. They just something about the way their bass, I don't want to say contradicts, but just seems to go off on its own compared to what like 
the rhythm is doing and you know at least the songs that i've heard and i think that i i think that coincides with what you're talking about because that's something my brain picks out i don't know like if i was to pick up an instrument today or you know one of each and you know by touching each instrument which kind of musician i'd become but i definitely tend to like hear the drum or the bass first in a song and you made me think about that like what you know i know that's i've been trying to figure out like what do i hear first i guess i really i focus mostly on on the voice which sucks because like in, in a lot of metal bands they're just not great but um i always look for some kind of weird instrumental thing happening like i can't remember any of the so you have that playlist uh real metal workout i listen yeah, to it, yeah. like every workout so like five yeah, times nice. a week i'm listening to that playlist, right? so <laughs> nice. there, there's one uh there's one album and it's like the guy he he's made up of like it's like an underwater thing and it's just the guy's face and Anyways, it has like this jazz solo in the middle of the song out of yeah. nowhere with like a with a with a saxophone. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, nope. like that's really good. I really like Archspire. Archspire has some uh, yeah. uh, has some really cool like just different like uniqueness to it. I can't even explain. Well, this saxophone is the interesting- needs to make a big comeback. I hate saxophones, you motherfucker. Oh man, you are so. Oh, I usually man. don't like brass, I don't, no, no. but like in that song though, it's like yeah. <laughs> i love you mark I, i'm more of like a, look at them. <laughs> I, I like like uh like violins and cellos a lot when they get oh, intermixed yeah. with like different songs that's like uh, types of genres that that that's a it's it's weird so like when we when I, I was writing songs i don't even know how to fucking put it basically let's just say when i was in a band i took vocal lessons just to sing better but it, the there were no teachers back then to teach you how to sing in metal so like i developed my growl and like the way i would yell or the way i would sing i had to just develop that myself to my vocal teacher was she taught me how to sing from my diaphragm or breathe from my diaphragm so she actually helped me just learn how to breathe better which is awesome but when it comes to singing like no one knew how to add that rasp or no one knew how to articulate and teach it now if you go on youtube that's the cool thing with metal now that i think has changed a lot is that like what, what I played you the other day, Marco, from that Russian band, uh, Slaughter to Prevail. Mm-hmm. I think it's Slaughter to Prevail. But they're on Sumerian Records. Shout out to Mike. He's a badass. Mike <laughs> but he uh, – they – he – vocalists now can all – like in metal, they can change from being growly to screaming to – they. It, it's so cool how many different things they can do with their voice. And actually there's a girl uh, – what I forgot what band she was in, but Mary Zimmer – was uh, a friend of mine that she gives vocal lessons to metal bands on YouTube. And that's like her job. Like she gives vocal lessons, but particularly for metal. And it's really cool because she can teach you how to use different parts of your, your entire organ to actually sing and be able to do it every day. Because that was funny because you guys heard it with my job. Now when I would do speaking lines, I would yell it or I would growl it, you know, and then you draw it, yeah, big yeah, time, yeah. And then it sounded like a metal intro. I yeah, know. it was awesome. I really <laughs> liked your villain speech. Uh, uh, but the, then you remember that the director was like, "You can't do that every day. You're gonna bl- you're gonna burn out your throat." And I was just like, "I was well, like, I was okay, gonna I was comment like, on that actually." Yeah, like how it's much healthier having someone like a vocal coach or 
like I noticed that too from looking up the videos on YouTube for singing lessons for that. It's much safer. Like you, I, those first guys, like you guys, you must have guys like you must have like ruined their voices. There's got to be dudes out there that we, just can't barely fucking talk. Well, you find you find out how to do it, so you can do it all the time. But again, if we go back to uh, Cannibal Corpse, Corpse Grinder, or George Fisher, he. Uh, he just yelled all the time. So when he would get on stage, it would sound all growly and deep and awesome. And then would talk to him. He always talk like this. Like he had like a he burnt mm. out his voice all the time. So every time, whenever I met him or talked to him or anything, it would always be like gone. I think now as people progress and everything, like shit, he's been, they've been doing it for decades and he can still do it. But if you look at, I think it was Chuck from Testament, like he got throat cancer. I don't know what it was. It was probably mm. not from singing, but who knows? But then he came back, but it was awesome that when he did come back, like he, there were vocal teachers and everything that knew how to uh, achieve that sound, so he could do it safer and longer. Another, right. so band I wasn't really a fan of because I mean, in hindsight, cause my ego and I was jealous of them. But there's a band called Trivium, which people would say like okay. wasn't yeah. real metal back then. They, as composers, I forget the guy's name. The the singer, people. what's that? Some people, no one, no one present, just some people. Oh. Well, they. He changed the way he sang, like when he started getting vocalists. It's really cool to hear like their old live albums and like what he can do now. Like technically speaking, maybe he doesn't have the best singing voice. I'm sure he's a very he seems like a very humble guy, and he'd be the first to admit it. But it's he looked at his voice like an instrument, so he practiced it, and it got better and better, and he was able to do more and more with it. Look at the band we keep talking about, Metallica. No one wanted to fucking sing. It just so happened that James Hetfield were like, "You do it," and then he was singing. And he's one of the most impressive singers I know in like in any genre. How he sounds live, especially yeah, Jesus Christ! Like that guy, like that's why there, there's certain bands like that. The stars just align. And also, it's 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 so cool when something gets uh, like personified, if you will, or when like like everything comes together. Like the, the the simple fact that there were that many talented individuals. That all had the same mindset, all coming out of San Francisco, all at the sure. same time, yeah, all at the same age. Exactly, it's insane. It's like, how did that happen? And now, like everyone else is trying to figure it out. Just like if you go to Seattle after Nirvana came out, every dipshit with a flannel shirt thought they were Kurt Cobain, you know. But none of them. <laughs> well, were able to you touch know, it. and I think. No, I agree, and I think also that I think maybe part of it, and you know, to bring the boomers into it, because they are the children of boomers. So I think, you know, they had. They had it good in, in a sense, or they had time to like be artistic, right? They didn't have to start working at a you know at a nine to five job if you know if they didn't have to. I know that sounds very general, but I, I noticed that like you said, a lot of especially from that generation, which is like basically the one right before us, they there's a lot of good music. That's why to me, I don't know, I feel like especially for one thing I really liked about eighties in general was that the music was, you could go into any genre in the eighties and the music, you'd find good music. I really, I really believe that, you know, I think there's, there's just so much variety there and I guess the seventies and nineties to some extent, but I just, I feel like that maybe that's missing now, or at least I find that I have to dig deeper to like really find some good, I guess you call it independent, but to me, all art is independent. Um, you know, passionate work that isn't mainstream, that isn't just churned out like through a meat grinder. I think it, like that. I, I, I actually disagree with that a lot because now we have no. so many sources. Like if I, if our, if I was 18 right now, the whole entire thing would be so different about how we went about music. Like back in, like all we had was MySpace to share our music with anybody. 
So if it caught fire, it's like it's it's MySpace. Some people weren't even on it or anything. Like Facebook wasn't even around, right? Mm-hmm. Like obviously, but the yeah. internet was still new and shit and everything. Like you you had to basically if you really wanted to make it big, you couldn't do it independently. Like no one could. And then you would not no one. I'm sure there was fucking people, whatever. But they you needed the backing of a label in order to succeed because it was all intertwined. Right. Like if you wanted radio play, you had to be in this certain label. I think one of the first, uh, like it, it's it's interesting when you think about it. Like even in the two thousand or nineties, whenever the hell Jewel came out, like she was independent and bringing Early people. 90s, I think. Yeah, like she, she was doing it the old school way. Her like, story is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah she has a phenomenal story. story. And, and she like she's smart. She saw the bullshit up front and oh said God, no man. to the first yeah. contract they handed because she knew it was a bad deal. And she still she stuck you know, she stuck it out, and, and that's what made her fortune. That's what uh, made her. It, it's impressive, so yeah, to, to have that kind of mental clarity. I mean, but she went through a struggle, you know. Like, and it's easy, easy for us to say, like, oh, well, good music was written because they went through harder times. Like, she went through hard times, but she didn't look at it that way. She seemed to be very upbeat about it. But most metal bands, even successful ones, it's like their first few years, you're not making good money. Like you're living at home with your mom and that's basically it. So like, so that that's mm-hmm. what's, what's weird now because when you said like, you can't really find good independent music back then, I would have to go to one of three record stores in Chicago and just dig through and yeah. maybe see like a, an album cover that looks good. And I would just buy stacks of CDs and listen to all of them. Half of cool. them were shit. And then I said, it's like what you guys are saying is like, you had to go to physical places to, to get music like you there was no spotify right where you just have yeah. an endless catalog of music like there was I, I grew up in a rural area so there was there was no stores there wasn't a walmart there was nothing you know i didn't have a record store ever nearby yeah. there was the closest music store was in rockford and that was like 45 minutes away from me yeah there you and, go which so you is only far listen to the radio a car yeah yeah, yeah so, so I listen the to, there was a time there was a time where i thought all music was garbage I was like, I'm, I stopped listening to music. I'm like, this is what music is. All I heard was pop and country. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not listening to music anymore. It's such an so interesting like, like perspective to have to, because I, in my family, music was so broad and so important. So like for you to like think that music was just like, hey, it's just I, like I a one colored blanket. And like, oh, yeah, I'm not into it. You know, yeah, like, I, it's, it's it a was, small it was, thing. Who listens to it this? It was 90s country, <laughs> 90s pop, or 80s like uh, classics that they would play once in a while. That's all that was in my house. I mean, then there's church music too. But like, that's rough. Yeah. You, yeah I was like, like uh, sounds like the birth of a metal fan. Yeah. Like, well, pretty much. I, I like, that's what happened. It's like, I was like, I like, get me out. I, I was like a phoenix, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I died with music and like everything was like, all right, it's all garbage. And then my cousin introduced me to. I think it was Slipknot. I think it was that yeah, was the first metal band I listened to was Slipknot, and then I heard um, System of a Down on Saturday night, Saturday Night Live, and that's when I'm like, oh, there's good music out there. Like, where do I find this? So like, I, I found the station that was like had like rock music, like like System of a Down. Um, they didn't really play Slipknot yet because Slipknot was still a little harder back then. Um, but then like in like the the mid 2000s, they started playing them. But yeah, so like it was just weird, like finding out that there was like actually good music, I'm like or music that I enjoyed, I should say. See, that's why I was I was what really a, lucky. What a dark contrast too, because like my father was, I mean, he was in a band, and he so I always had music around. But I remember when I found his record collection and had a little Oshkosh record player, and I'd listen to like Rainbow, 
the deep purple, oh, that's nice black start. Sabbath. Like yeah. we, I just listened to all that on a record. And I remember the first time hearing, uh, Richie Blackmore playing a, a guitar solo and blew my mind. And I think I was like five years old and I had no idea what a guitar, like that's what a guitar sounded like. So my first distortion pedal was like my dad's from the seventies still have it. So it's not, it's not even distortion. Like at this point with how technology is, you could probably get heavier distortion through our, our phones than like what that is. But <laughs> I'm it was weird. Like the technology. Oh, yeah, water. And that's another thing. Like, so right now I, I think you could find, independent artists have such a big voice like there's a danaheim or whatever i don't even know how to pronounce it but you know there's a lot of viking music that's coming out that's awesome i like oh like yeah hailing and stuff if you look at it oh i would sure. have i would have never heard of any of these guys if it weren't for where we're at now so it's a cool genre that i always appreciated but that genre what it would be is like you listen to a black a black metal album let's say dark fortress or yeah, which is a dark fortress that they're kind of newer. It doesn't matter. Like black metal band. And then you would have one track. That's like this Viking ambient music or like in the beginning of a song, or it's like, there's like a random 12 minute song where they're just probably all tripping on shrooms and made this weird ass song. And it's ambient and using old instruments and everything. And you would get that on one track. Yeah. But now there's whole genres like a, built. Uh, War Juna. Yeah, exactly. Like, we're doing this. Per- yeah, exactly. Like, so, like, now independent artists like that, like, I think it was Dan Hein. Uh, I'm going to feel bad if I get this wrong, but like, one of them just released that saying all of his artwork, everything he just has public. He's like, go ahead, feel free to make shirts, sell merch, keep all the profits and everything. I'll, he's like, all I ask is that you give me credit for the music. He's like, put any images, anything else, everything. He's like, just here's open source, do whatever you want with it. So it's like I think independent wow. artists have a lot better voices now, or a lot. A lot well, definitely, I mean, there's yeah, the megaphone's never been louder for the small guy, for the little yeah. guy. So that, that's Plus why I like music like, now. Things like TikTok, I see a lot of like uh, up and coming artists on TikTok trying to make it there too. Like they'll just yeah. have like a short of their song, and then a link to their whatever page. Yeah, and then it's most of it's not great, but some there's some good ones out there. Well, well, I know Zach and I probably have some questions that we want to like ask. Yeah. Um, so are you, are you game for some questions? Sure. Let's do it. <laughs> but, uh, well, I have a quick, simple one. And it's right. really to, to both of you. Uh, Cause I'd like to know the opinions is how do you guys feel? Like it's one thing that, one thing that irks me about modern music is the amount of over editing and especially like the use of auto tune mm. uh, when it comes to not just singing, but I mean like, whatever the equivalent is considered for like auto tuning an instrument, you know, which is, I mean, okay. There's been digital music production software for quite a while now. And it's so good that, you know, you could do an entire, an entire orchestra off of, you know, one computer, let's say, and people do um, like, you know, Jeremy soul, for example, but what do you guys feel? How do you feel about that? Like, especially with the use of auto tune, do you think that it, um, ruins the music or does it does it rob it of any of like the passion or spirit that the that human error gives that human error adds to to the art you want to go first you want me to go first Zach? oh I, I can go so i would say that it's a tool right that you can use to either uh like some people will use it in, like auto-tune as a as a almost just for the sound of auto-tune like they'll use it as a artistic flair Mm. Right. I can't think of any 
prime examples but they're like like i think that's where the distinguished lies if you're just like using it and relying on it to like make yourself sound better then it's like okay you're not really you're not going to sound the same live so when people go to see you they're like oh i'm not why would i go see this guy again but um i like it when they use their their those like those effects for as an art, artistic flair like there's um zoe keating she's she does a, she's a solo artist but she does like loops of cellos so I think that she'll like play it live and then she'll loop that, then play another section and then loop that. So you, she starts to build an entire song off of a series of loops that she's playing live. And I think like things like that, like where they use it to their advantage to make like an artistic pre- presentation out of the tool. I, I, I like that. I, mm. I, I don't think it, I don't know. I used to hate it, but yeah, I think it depends on the application because then I think, think, of why it is you dislike it like do you dislike it because it seems dishonest that they can't really seem that way because right now technology is so advanced that you can play live you can play guitar and there's auto tune on the guitar because as you play guitar this this it starts going flatter and flatter because the strings expanding more and more so then the, the note gets lower so that's why usually if you see a band playing, they have multiple guitars or they have certain spots where like we mm. didn't have, we didn't have guitar techs or anything. So what we would do is we had a tuner on our rack. So there would be some time, like say like Dolan starts playing a solo or something or we're like between songs, he's talking or something. I turn around and retune in the rack and you, you could see it and whatever. So there's, there's things now like live, you won't be, even be able to tell a difference and different applications of live too. Is that, like sometimes they're already pre-recorded. But they, like what Zach said, if you're using it artistically, I think it's it's just another tool. Like it's it's the way I look at it at this point is distortion helped the guitar, in my opinion. Like distortion, reverb, echo, all these effects you can do. There's so much more things you can do with the voice of the guitar now. That with the voice, it's if they can make it sound good. Or like I don't, I hate. Personally, I hate the way it sounds, so I can't listen to it. It just sounds like a robot, but that's fine. There's some guitar solos that are so over-edited that it sounds like a, a robot. But then it's the argument is, do you appreciate the composer or do you appreciate the way it sounds? Because most of these guys that use autotune, if they wrote the song themselves, like especially rappers or some pop artists or anything, if they wrote it themselves and they wanted it to sound like they wanted this melody in their voice and they, they use the tools to make the melody and they can't do it naturally. It's it's if they're orchestrating it, them like the way that they want to, that's cool. If they just can't physically do it, but they can write a song to sound a certain way. And then they use technology to help them out. I think the thing that you mentioned that, struck a chord is the imperfection or I, I forgot the exact verbiage actual verbiage you used. Well, just, I just or said like the error because like error, something exactly. that they do well I've seen what they do now too is they go back to old performances like say a Barbara Streisand song and then they auto-tune it and so they even mm-hmm. like Michael Buble who is a phenomenal singer mm-hmm. you know and who I even like take notes from uh he's auto-tuned heavily and I just don't I for me I you know I, I agree with what both you guys said that it's like, you know, everything's an artistic tool. Everything's a paintbrush, really, you know, and that's fine. But it takes the humanity out of it, the error, the, the human error that makes something personal. I mean, it doesn't, I don't need to like hear somebody coughing in between their screaming to feel like it's personal, but like just <laughs> the, 
you know what I mean? Like there's just certain moments, sometimes the way you bend your, your falsetto or your vibrato, the way you bend a note that has meaning too. I think well, and I to used to have ha- always that, to have that flat lined always. You know? I hated uh, live albums for a while. Well, one, they were recorded poorly, but then I started, when I started writing yeah. songs or when I started actually playing live and it's, we we had a co-producer we but we produced like we wrote all of our own songs and stuff uh that being said sometimes you're veered a different way when you're recording when you're live that's the artist's 100 percent what the hell they want to do you know there's a disagreement in a band it's like hey i think we should do it this way yeah. live the bass player might be like hey like i know he's <laughs> like fuck y'all i'm doing this run even though you hate it and so dude that was throwing me off so hard <laughs> oh, it's not, if i was like the, in the middle of a session i'm like i'm used to hearing the thing that i'm supposed to be playing all right and I, yeah. this is where i come in this is all that like that's like when we did fights and uh at medieval times if someone did something different than what they usually do it would throw me i'm like where am i now it's oh, like yeah. why are we on the why are we flipped around in the arena like what's going on but that's what's like staying um, in it i i think state that's what Sorry to cut you off. There was a big thing with uh, that imperfection. I think that's what separates what we consider music that had like a soul to it, which is, again, where the hell does the music come from? But I can't tell you how many times I listened to Led Zeppelin's Zeppelin 1. I listened to that whole album of Zeppelin or let's say uh, Axie's Bold as Love, like a Jimi Hendrix album, right? Like So albums that came out like in the 70s. Is Zeppelin 60s too? I don't know. Let's just say 70s, right? So Zeppelin and... Yeah, and they Jim, are. Actually. Yeah, 60, I mean, Hendrix as well. Yeah, so their albums had like a Jimmy Page's fuck-ups. Like he'd play a solo and you'd hear him hit a, the wrong note, but it was like a one-take thing. And it, it, there was... there. You listen to... If you see videos <laughs> of Zeppelin playing live, they're you can hear them getting off track or off rhythm and then finding each other again. And there was such a humanity Mm -hmm. to their production of how they wrote everything. That was awesome. That's what like, and there was something to it. It was like, it was spoke more to the human experience than it does now. And now it's more, what will it sound not to be all over the place, but it's like now the guitar players that are coming out now, you could find a YouTube guy of someone just shredding and you could play like five different songs at the same time on a guitar. No one's going to fucking remember that guy's name. It's like he's he's a way right, better guitar yeah. player technically than Jimi Hendrix, but no one's ever going to know this kid. Like probably now they might get famous for about like 10 years or something and they reinvented how to play the guitar, but the soul that fell behind it is gone. Like no one's going to touch Jimi. Yeah, Hendrix. I think that's important too. I think okay. that matters. Yeah, I have a couple things. So I I I actually like some bands live and i i don't like other bands live like i or like they're just okay live and you know their energy's good and stuff like that like i liked red and hurt live like those two bands when i saw them they were like phenomenal i thought they sounded way better and i think part of the reason i think that way is that i don't like most bands the way they sound live is because i'm just not used to it you know i'm not used to the way that they sound well it was a shock for me when i was a teenager when all these bands that I've been listening to on records and cassette tapes or, you know, yeah, cassettes, they, um, you know, when I finally heard them live or I went to go see them live and they didn't sound anything like they didn't have that for studio perfection, right? That, that, that stark difference between a live performance and a studio performance. And that turned on a switch in my brain. Like suddenly now I became a critic of everything I was listening to. Mm. That That's really when I got interested in music is when, what was I, the first, when I first heard. What was your first yeah, concert? 
What was it? My first concert, of? man. That is. Well, I heard I I'd heard live recordings that. Hearing live recordings is what made me oh, think Oh, it was live way. recordings. Okay. When I, but, yeah, but when I went to my first live concert, believe it or not, I believe my first live concert was a B.J. Thomas concert. And if you guys don't know who he is, he was pretty famous for like country songs. B, oh, you've know, you know, raindrops keep falling on my head. Mm. That's B.J. Thomas, right? Um, so he, he impressed me because up until that point, I was like listening to – um, like I listened to a live recording. I'm trying, oh man, I'm trying to think of what was, what one was it really bad. So I love Megadeth, right? Especially like uh, early nineties, late eighties Megadeth. But I, I know, I know you're going to do that. That's all right. Get a vomit cup. Cause I'm going to keep going there. Uh, so I listened to, I heard, I heard a live recording of Megadeth and it was awful. And I, and I was so upset by that. I'm like, how can this be? How could, how could the guys that create this, this nectar that for my my brain that I'd been listening to on a cassette tape, and then I hear them live and it's shit. But then when I went to go see B.J. Thomas with my mother live, then I was impressed. That's what really hooked me. Actually, that that's what made me appreciate live music because he sounded just as good live, if not better. I thought even better than he did on a on a recorder or a studio recording because the studio recording was so sterile to me. Mm-hmm. It was too perfect. There was too much practice. I mean, I want you want I want to hear skill. I, I definitely want more skill. But like you just said, Edward, about like some kid on YouTube shredding it, not to downplay their ability, but the memorability of what they're doing is it sometimes doesn't exist. It's, I think it's, it's more difficult, it seems, the more the over practice they are. When you're what, saying that, is that like stage presence? Is that what kind of like where you're getting at? No, no, is just sound, it? just sound in general. Like, I mean, like BJ Thomas singing, like, okay, raindrops keep falling on my head, right? That's a really simple song, simple chords, everything about it's simple. But when he sang it live, you could, like, a lot of, especially because I pay attention to singers because I want to be one, right? I pay attention to, like, what they do with their own music and songs that they're just, you know, they've worn out. They're just probably bored singing. Like, even Elvis was bored with his own music. But they add little little changes into it because it's live, like you were saying, Edward, about how they'll just do whatever they want live. Like, you know, screw you guys, right? And Elvis, I love Elvis for that because he would do, he would throw his band off all the time. And they were ready, for, like they were anticipating it. Like he'd, they would be in practice, you know, 13 hours a day for like months straight. And then the performance would come and he and he would just start going, blah, 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 and just start changing lyrics or singing or just start the wrong song. And they, they, they're like, oh, shit, you know, like they got to like, they got to sound professional still, right? So All the audible. Well, like to, to go back to Megadeth, I know that I talk. Yeah. I don't. I don't go like ahead. Megadeth, but their guitar yeah. players, like uh, they've had a lot of guitar players. Well, Chris Poland and uh, well Marty Friedman, phenomenal guitar players. Dave Mustaine, mm-hmm. whatever. It, that some people are fanboys for Dave Mustaine. Again, I like Metallica, and I think Dave Mustaine's a little whatever. It doesn't matter. You don't have to pick and choose. I think uh, Megadeth wrote some good songs, but I think I don't know how he got away with sounding the way he sounds and being like he was surrounded by a lot of talent. Just in my opinion, and he 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 the the lyrics or whatever is a it's a good testament to like writing good lyrics. But it's like to me, it felt like a twelve year old that having twelve year old angst and no talent is my opinion of Dave Mustaine, but. As opposed to James Hetfield, who I think James Hetfield can play the shit out of a guitar, and yet, like maybe Dave Mustaine can do something. I don't know. I just never got the idea of Megadeth, especially having a guitar player like Chris Poland. I think I was a monster, and then Marty Friedman. 
like Marty Freeman just I think he still is just now in Japan. Like he's one of those guys that has a TV show. He, all he does is play. He guitar. is, yeah. He's I watch him. I watch him on YouTube. He's yeah, awesome. He's he's like a superstar in Japan, yeah. and he's technically retired, but he still just goes on like TV shows and talks about his life and music. Oh, that's so cool. And he's a totally laid back guy, and he is phenomenal. Yeah, and he's, oh, he's a really phenomenal. good player. So, so they yeah. like the the weird thing is with the if we go back to the live talking about like live bands or not, my impression was totally different because. I listened to – I grew up listening to like a wide variety. Like I mean it's Louis Armstrong, Mozart, mm-hmm. and then Metallica. You know, it, it just – it changed a lot, you know. Or then uh, my first concert, I forgot what it was. It was a punk show and I <laughs> loved it because I finally heard music as loud as I wanted to. And that's all I remembered. It's like, it sounded exactly like the album that I like. That I that, that's a liberating but, experience. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and I remember I was 13 years old and trying to like, people were climbing up into the rafters and then like there was a mosh pit. My friends kept on pulling me back from going into the pit. And I was like a little, <laughs> I was like, a, I think I was like 12 actually. Yeah. I was 11 or 12 at that punk show. And I just kept on trying to run it. And I'll never forget that feeling. It was like the greatest feeling in the world. And then the next show I saw was with, one of my best friends, Dave, uh, him and I went to Milwaukee. So this was when he was, he had his license. So I think I was 15. And this is the first time that we went unsupervised, if you will. Right. Cause like we would have parents drive us and then drop us off because we didn't have cars. This is the first time that from get, start to finish, we drove, we went to Milwaukee, saw super joint ritual in, in a band called devil driver and devil driver. Just that was their first oh, okay. tour. And they never didn't replay it. I remember like hearing them, like being like, "Oh, whatever." And then they opened and blew me away. And it was just so loud and so much energy. And the first time I saw Phil and Salmo come out for Super Joint Ritual, and then everyone sparked a joint. I never, I never knew what marijuana was, and just smelling it, it was like, "What the hell is that?" So that probably has something to do with it too, because like we got secondhand high. That's well, a lot of first you know? experiences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a well, lot of input well, all we, at once. Well, we, <laughs> we like you know you would smell it all the time at random places but i was like i mean the band's super joint ritual so that was just like everyone all of a sudden you see and that was back when you could smoke indoors anyway so people were smoking cigarettes and everything that was the thing i hated because i was allergic to tobacco so i'd go to a show i'd come home reeking of booze and cigarettes and i'd have like a headache for two days because i was allergic to it but yeah i remember man Aragon Ballroom in Chicago yeah. before they rent before they renovated it because that was like a cabaret club originally. So it had like you know three decades of just smoke, spit, and vomit oh, on the walls. Yeah. Oh yeah, and a low ceiling. So like when oh, I used to go fun. to concerts there, and uh, that's actually where I saw Tenacious D for the first time was before they changed that that venue around. And man, it hit a low ceiling. So there was literally like, you know how like you see jokes or you're like in a movie, like, you know, like a limo opens up with a bunch of Jamaican guys and a cloud escapes because of all the like ganja they're smoking. <laughs> That's what this place was like, dude. The, there was like, there was like Just six to eight feet of haze yeah, right over your head. You could literally like, it was like a cloud in yeah. the building that you could literally touch. You know, and you could swoosh it around like it was it was the pressure difference. It was crazy. And you could just stick your head up there and probably get high. You just took a deep <laughs> breath and be fucked up right away. But yeah. So do you have any other questions, Zach? That, or what's rolling around in your head about this shit? Well, I, I was I could talk about my first concert was uh was a music festival actually, and it was like a rock outdoor. It was called Wingding and it was in uh uh Rockford. And it was yeah, it just had a bunch of like uh rock bands that were on the radio. You know, they had like a Hinder, uh Theory of Dead Man, um 
I can't remember who else was there. I'm at feeling the time. old, but so they, old but they hit like they had like Johnny Pool was there before. Um, Coolio actually hosted it once because cool. it was yeah, it was like it was like a, every year they do it. And they had him for as a host. And like, how many knots did he have in his head at that time, dude? He's was, down to two. Oh, really? The whole oh, yeah. thing was like, uh, hey, it was it was done up. So yeah, he looks like up. a cabbage patch baby now, the poor bastard. <laughs> but yeah, that the one was really funny that he hosted because like people were getting rowdy at this concert. Like they were like crowding hard and like they're like, okay, guys, we gotta like separate the crowd and we gotta like you know move around, move back because like they, it was it was packed. It was hard. Um. And, like, they're not listening to them. These are, like, the DJ, like, radio hosts, and no one's listening to these guys. So Coolio gets on stage, and he just starts going, hey, hey. And then, like, it's like, now move back. Move back. And everyone starts moving back. Yeah, it was smart, like, I was like, man. that is so funny. It's like, like no one's going to listen to this DJ, but everyone listened to Coolio. It's like, that is the weirdest thing. Oh, I actually had the, I split the Red Sea at a concert once, too. Oh, yeah. Yes. that was, Tell us. So it was, it was at Wingding. And uh, I was talking to this girl like the whole festival, right? And we're, we're getting, you know, we're getting a little familiar. And um, she's like, "I gotta go." I'm like, "I gotta get my dad," but I'm like, in the, we're like at the front of the of the of the stage, so we're like right up close, and there's like a sea of people. And I'm like, "All right, I got you." So like, she gets up the top of my shoulders, and I just and I just yell, "Move!" And everyone just like whoosh, like the Red Sea just like moves out of the way. Everyone like behind them is like, "Hey, she's got to get out of here, man! Like, get her, let her out, let her out!" And so I'm just like, you probably made her. it sound like an emergency. Yeah. So they're like, "No, but everyone she's else, go. everyone else behind her or behind like each person was like saying like, "Hey, get out of the way!" It's like this person's trying to get out. It was yeah. like it was like I felt like a, I was a Moses, man. It was amazing. It was like the most power I've ever had. Just it was just like Ooh. that was great. What's well, a good, what happened with the lady? Uh we talked for a bit, but nothing really happened. Oh, she didn't spread your sea, huh? That's nah, too bad. That's all right. But yeah, it's fun. Still got a good story out of it. <laughs> that's cool, man. Yeah. What else you got, Marco? Uh well, I just wanted to hear, like, you know, I love one of my favorite things to like talk about and listen it to is like drinking stories or just, you know, debauchery in general. And so with like with a metal band or just, you know, concert going in general. Now, you and I have talked many times about your experiences overseas in Europe and how you toured with uh, your band, Samaveda. Am I saying that correctly, by the way? Yeah, Samaveda. Samaveda. Yeah, I love that name, by the way. I looked I did look. Yeah, I looked it up. Am I still saying it wrong? Samaveda. No, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, Dolan is the only of it. Sorry. Shit, man, it, it's it's not my it's not my first language, so I don't know. That's how we said it. It's probably wrong. Because the Vedas were just uh Dolan Lewis was the one that came up with that name. Because mm. well, I've been in a lot of bands. A lot of bands. But like the most I mean, if you think like Dolan and I played guitar together, I think for three or four years before we came upon like what we finally settled as Sam Aveda. but we we had we kept on trying to find different drummers. Our bet, like one of our favorite drummers, I don't want to say their best drummer because Tim Preciado, I would say hands down, was the most talented drummer I played with, or one of. He was most fun to play with. Me and him meshed really well. But the uh, we had in high school, we had the privilege of having Neil Daniels, who's actually a very successful drummer now. He plays for everything. Like he, he's still a professional. Well, now he is a professional drummer. Like he's he was phenomenal, and I'll never forget the conversation we had because we were writing a bunch of songs, we we're jamming, and we we're kicking ass. We we're in his basement, 
And then he looked at Dolan. I was like, Hey guys, uh, I don't want to play. Uh, I don't want to play metal anymore. <laughs> and like, we're both like, heartbroken. That, like, All right, that cool. moment. What's, yeah, he was just like, I don't want to play metal anymore. I was just like, I, I'm just not into it. But we're like, okay, that's cool. Like we, we felt for him and he was in another band. I think he was in Chicago green, which is like a jam band, if you will. They were, they were cool dudes, but he ended, he ended up moving to, la to do drumming stuff but it was just, it was funny how many drummers we kept on going through and then they like you know you you grow or you change and even if it is within a matter of two months you just decide you don't want to do it anymore or switch genres but yeah what's your question about going over there no i just wanted to know about like yeah tell us like t- tell us about your experiences like are there any good stories because i know yeah, you got good like ones. your best experience and your worst experience on best tour. experience oh yeah there we go well that Man, I learned so many. I I so many bad things that happened on that thing. That that was just a big shit show. That was the, probably the best <laughs> and the worst three fucking months of my life. And I'll never forget. Like I knew we we're gonna. I knew we were gonna break up when we we're going out there. Like I don't remember talking to my mom about it. My mom was like, "You called it." But the way I looked at it was like it was the ultimate test to see if this is. I'm really glad I did it because it was. It was the ultimate test yeah. to see as a band, are we going to be able to get through this or are we going to fall apart? So if How it didn't strong happen, is your bond? Yeah. yeah. If it didn't happen, then it, then it would have happened. Like I'd be like, we'd probably be split up now. Like, you know, and then what the fuck am I going to do at 35 or 30, whatever the hell I am right now. Like then I had to start all over. But the thing is, did a lot of mistakes, like didn't secure with any of our sponsors, the instruments we needed. And the ones that said that we were, the, the the sponsor who's going to give us the drums and the bass and everything over there backed out for whatever reasons. I don't want to get into that. I don't want to throw anyone under a fucking bus is what I don't want to do, but I'll just take responsibility for it. So basically <laughs> if we had <laughs> instruments there, the, the idea is what we were going to do is we're going to go to Europe and then we had seven sponsors that I organized in order to, get our plane tickets over there. We had to pay, uh, I think it was like 1500 bucks for like everything, which seems like a lot of money, especially when you're, we're like kids, but that's a three month tour, all food, everything, except for like booze or whatever else. We want it, was to like nothing. it was, yeah. it was basically nothing, but then the sponsors, we, we were supposed to have a meeting and then we were supposed to be sober and most people were not sober. So we lost everybody. And what that's, what sucked about that is, there's just a lot of discord because things that were supposed to happen didn't happen. It was a lot of organizing. I was way too young and disorganized to be able to get everything set up properly. You know what? Everything should like two weeks before we went, things started kind of falling apart. But at that point we felt like we still got to go. It's like, we'll figure it out when we're there, which is a bad choice. But our best show I would say was at the Debnair social club, which is a small venue in Wicker park. And that was the most fun show we had here. And it was awesome. Like they, they have a small little guardrails in front. People ripped it off. Uh, I thought the bar <laughs> manager was going to be furious with us, but we were like the third highest grossing uh, sales that they've ever had there. Because I mean, it was a bunch of our buddies and like people from Wicker Park, and everyone just wanted to drink. And people just—I remember like looking down at one point, and my monitor in front just had rows of shots. And then like half of them were empty. I'm like, hold, like I'll, I'll never forget. Like we're like playing, and I'm like, like this is awesome. This is a good party. Turn around, looking at Dolan stuff, and I look down. I'm like, how many shots have I taken? Like that was the good thing is we were always. <laughs> it's not good, but we practiced 
drunk. That's like I was at the most unhealthy point <laughs> of my entire life is from music. Because when Dave and I, my good my best buddy growing up, who's like a brother to me, we were playing uh, music. Yeah, easy when we were like twelve. We were just my guitar and his drum set. We were playing, but we would just drink. We'd play and drink. That's all we would do for hours on end, and. That developed a bad relationship with my creative side and my guitar side and playing in a band. It always went hand in hand with sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know, if you will. Just it seems it's like it just made too much sense. It felt too good. So why, why do you think yeah. that they go together like that though? Like what is I don't what know. is the the magnets? Why do they connect like that? Because that's not just you guys. That's like that's like the stereotype of rock and roll. You You're know, developing your music, psyche. really. As a young person, you're developing your psyche, I think, and you start associating things that you don't don't realize you're associating with it. It's like, hey, if you're in band practice and everything's going loud, no one's going to come in and like it gives you a freebie to drink. It's like you can hide out and clear in plain sight. You know what I mean? So I think mm-hmm. it just it just happened to go that way because you're looser. And shit, when you're a kid, you shouldn't be drinking anyway because your frontal lobes are right. like mushed. So. you're listening to let's just say what was like ted nugent we listened to a ted nugent album we'd go upstairs we start jamming out then after two beers in i sounded like ted nugent (laughs) (laughs) we're like oh damn we're not off off tempo or anything and then like the way you'd know it like it it was it was very interesting especially when we we got to the point man we're all i'm all over the place sorry but when we got to the point where we started when our band had a studio and we'd just pay rent to have a studio where we can go to so we were drinking and smoking staying up all night like adult like we would sleep there i just remember we wake up there's no windows because uh chicago is cool you could there's literally apartment complexes if you will but they're all just studios for musicians so there's no windows thick walls you can you shouldn't like the local musicians in chicago would know like the hershey kiss factory when they closed down they made it into a one of these music garages and you know, you'd wake up, didn't know what time it was, and you just make a pot of coffee. Guy would spark up a joint, make I would just drink coffee, sit there, and then we'd start playing. Dole and I are half awake, just go through two pots of coffee, crack open some beers, and then eventually you run out of beer. So then you go and do a beer run. It's like, oh, it's daytime. And it's like, oh shit. Or you'd go out and it's like, oh, it's dark. Okay. Like we had no perception of time when we were there. So it just went, that was just what we would do. You know, it did made no, there's no, I like I don't you know why it goes in, in hand. Do you well do you run into the problem cuz I've run into this with it's 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 off topic but like with um my social life or my dating life let's say right but like I found that because I always was hooking up with women while I was drunk basically or messed yeah. up that I I had thinking back and I was like oh my god I have years of interactions where I wasn't sober ever and you find do you find that with like your music where like if you pick up a guitar sober are you able to play do you feel like oh shit like i need a drink right now because i can't even get into this my problem is too is i was such a perfectionist but i also didn't have structure of discipline i'm the most you guys are gonna i know what that means i know know you guys are gonna say you guys are gonna say i'm 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 lying but i am the most lazy person on like i am extremely lazy and unproductive and not disciplined so I had to force my I, – but I get obsessive with stuff. So if I had structure and I, if I could like think of – like I got – when I started getting guitar lessons and everything, I would just drill 
through this shit. But like, it was weird because I would be so hard. I would like, you would flick a, there's, it's only six strings, but how many different things you could do in that and how difficult it is to mute the notes you don't want to have played or like your finger, like mm. fat finger something. And then you touch something else, especially when you're doing arpeggios or if you're trying to do a run or anything like that, the, the different notes that you accidentally hit and stuff. So I would play through it over and over and over again when I was sober completely. I was very I w- I was able to play it, but it wouldn't be like perfect ever. But then as you keep drinking a little bit more, it probably didn't you weren't obviously your motor skills started being delayed and you started playing a little worse, but you don't give a shit. So you get more done, <laughs> you know, like you don't get stuck. For oh, example, like you, you, don't, you, don't let, you don't let your, your <laughs> imperfections interrupt your, your, your progression. Progress. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like yeah. when I was a skateboarder I and I would try to do, a, I was trying to learn how to do a kickflip. Now I remember I spent six months just every day. I put up a camera on a tripod and I would sit in front of my house for hours, like four hours a day trying to land a kickflip. And that's all I would do. And then it would get dark, put up lights, keep trying it. And then I finally just tried doing a heel flip and I started practicing a heel flip for two weeks and I was like, God, heel flips suck. And I tried to kick flip and landed the first try. And it's like that concept stuck with me. It's like you need to start – you need to, to to learn to take a step away from what you're struggling with to try something mm-hmm. different that's still related to it and then somehow your brain's making the connections without us knowing. But I think with the drinking and playing guitar, it just felt so much better. And it sounded so good. But do you think it's like you're getting two different dopamine hits at yeah, the same time? Then absolutely, yeah. Well, like you're also like you're it, it, you're Chasing associating the all these different rewards with like <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then that, that that makes sense. And it was and, and then it, it just becomes more accessible, and it's in the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely in the culture. So it just, it just becomes easy. And you're like a kid, and so you know you're young, dumb, yeah. And full. Of, yeah. So like you, you're <laughs> one track mind and. So you're mm-hmm. drinking, you're playing guitar, and then like what you mentioned, Marco, it's like you're drinking and you're meeting girls then. So it's like you drink, you play guitar, girls like guitar players, and then just like an endless loops. So then like the dopamine hits just like yeah. always. Association. Like, yeah. And that's the worst. That's the thing about writing the songs. Like I, cause I kept the journal because I wrote a lot of the lyrics and we had uh, the album we were working on, man, like. Like I said, I was the most unhealthy I've ever been during that time. But mentally, man, it's you get obsessed with trying to find out where that creative energy is coming from. And then you get kind of tunnel vision into how to do it. But it got darker and darker and darker and darker. But you don't realize it because you're just going into a pit of despair. And then those little dopamine hits, they just put you lower anyway because you're chasing that dragon, as they say, you know. But like, Man, the the, the thoughts it just gives I you had, energy to dig. Yeah. And, and the thoughts I had, and it's like the darker you got, the cooler the music was. Though, like, man, I was like in the <laughs> most depressed state. I'll never forget. Like, it was bad. But man, the songs we I we wrote some licks when we were in Europe. When I like my whole world was just falling apart. My dog died when I was there. Like, it was just everything was going bad. So, but the things I wrote, I have one uh cell phone recording of when i was practicing because the band went to watch uh european cup or world cup or whatever and i was like we got to fucking jam out we got practices we're here for but they didn't have their instruments i had my guitar and dolan had his guitar but we didn't have a drum set there or a bass and they left and the guy we were we were with he just filmed like secretly like me practicing and i still had that video recording and it was one of the best guitar solos i've ever written 
ever played in my entire life. Like, it just sounded like the I cannot touch that now. And it wasn't because of the technique or anything. It was just I was so depressed. <laughs> like, it was such a bad place well, to be. it's interesting looking back, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, man. sometimes I'm amazed. You know, like, I that was me. I did that. I don't even know how to, to repeat yeah. that or oh, go dude, back any to of our songs. I, I, I can't play any of our songs now. And then the worst thing is, like, mm. I've actually spoken with Dolan recently. And he like we had a song called Panzer. It was like Panzer Tanks, right? And what we were gonna, what the lyrics were, man, that was such a cool song, so heavy. But originally we were gonna write it, and I was just gonna sing it in Polish because uh, like the band was just like, man, that sounds so cool. Because no one knows what I'm saying here, you know. <laughs> My Polish yeah. accent's fucking awful, but it did sound cool. If you're growling and Pol- like people are just like, what's he summoning the devil? You know, like no one had, <laughs> no one had a clue. Backwards English growl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but man, yeah, that like we were talking about that song Panzer again, and the riffs and the licks that we had there, like it was driving Dolan crazy because he hasn't reached out to me in a long time. He's like, "Do we have a recording of it anywhere?" And I'm like, "We, it's all gone because it's like it's stuck in our heads, but we can't find where it is." He, he still, he was the mm. most talented guitar player I've ever I've seen which I know most people say about guitar players in a band, but he and I played the same amount of time and how far ahead he was from me in terms of technique was astronomical. Like he just got it in his brain. He was able to formulate guitar solos in such a cool way. I always, my lack of skill, I was not a good guitar player. And I, I basically just, I liked the story aspect of it and how to tell a story. And then like I would, I was somehow fortunate in my state, like cool licks and riffs came to me and I would hear it in my head. And I remember like, cause my, I grew up, my uh, grew up a Joe was witness and I had to go to these conventions that were so long. And I remember just sitting there for, like for four hours and I would just be writing songs and I would have like a riff stuck in my head and trying to figure out how to write the riff accurately. And then when I get home that day, I would, go downstairs and try to figure out what the hell it sounded like, what it was. And it's, uh, I don't know where they came from, but like these rhythms and these, the, the riffs, that's the only thing I had going for me. Cause technique wise, I had the, I played eight hours a day sometimes and just, I, I couldn't get it. I was never nearly as fast as Dolan. Dolan just, if it doesn't matter who the guitar player was, if someone saw Dolan play, they're just like, fuck, like, <laughs> he was he was Can't a very this, rare yeah. specimen. That's what that's my only regret really is with us splitting up in Europe. Wasn't that obviously it was my organization or my my lack of planning that ultimately caused the dismay or the dismantlement of the band. Obviously, the personalities and people doing things didn't help, but it's the fact that that is what he was born to be. Is like he could have been a famous guitar player because he was in a different, complete different plan. We played with a bunch of bands, and we've like, especially when we were coming up, we would play with bands that were touring through through town or whatever. We like his within the music garages and everything that we would hear what other people are doing, and no one can touch Dolan. Like Jesus Christ, dude, the solos he made were just—I don't know what part of his brain got unlocked that he could write that stuff. And now, what is it? Almost. T- what 15 years later there's a lot of guitar players that are doing stuff like that but yeah he was phenomenal so that's the only regret is that not getting rid of his voice but the 
keeping a band together took so much management and I had no leadership, like no leadership skills, if you will, or I didn't know how to keep a unit together. And I tried and egos, my ego was way too big. Even though I thought I had no ego, I had a huge ego. And I think everyone did <laughs> except for fucking Dolan. Dolan's like, we all, we always said you like that. He was the talent of the band. And then all of us small individuals had our fucking egos. Like I remember sometimes like I would write a, a lick or Dolan would write a lick that sounded like awesome as hell. And my fragile little ego would be like, oh, well, you're going to be playing that while I'm doing this. And he literally would be like, oh, you take it. You play that. I'll just play a rhythm over it. I'm like, uh, okay. So I would like learn like the cool ass lick that he came up with and he would teach me how to play it. And then he would play something that's more boring over it just to make more focus on what I'm doing. And he did that all the time. He had no ego. But the thing, the reason why he had no ego is because he was the best guitar player I've ever seen. <laughs> So he had nothing to prove. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, so it, I, I don't think he, mm. he knew it, well, though. He, for him, it was a leaf off the tree. He's like, I'll just get, a, I'll, I'll make another one. You can have this one. Yeah, exactly. And he, yeah, he was just very talented. And that, that was what was in, because we were completely different in terms of our perspective, but our passion for music was, there were so many times where we'd be playing, we'd play a show. And then afterwards, I never understood this until now. Because I'm a little more numb, if you will, but like people would come up and like, man, I wish I f- felt anything the way you guys feel on like when you're playing guitar. Because we, I would, I would, my eyes would be, be closed. I'd be just transported out. Like I would give no shit. Like I looked like an idiot when I played guitar. Like I, like the way we were moving, like I would just, I, I would literally just picture going through the galaxy. Like I'd close my eyes. All I would see is like stars <laughs> and then just like it would feel like a tunnel. And just like going through a tunnel, I would just like hear the song while we're playing it, and I just remember like, oh, it, it would just, it felt like riding a wave through the galaxy. And then once in a while, you like open up, like, oh, there's people here. It's like, what's up, guys? Hey, oh, cool. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you like it? It's yeah, a good way to get over like any kind of stage fright or anything. Yeah, I anything never had stage like, fright, uh, anxiety. Yeah, I don't know. I never really cared. I don't know like when that happened, but whenever I was on stage, I never cared. If I was, yeah, I, like I don't know why. I just never, I never had stage fright, like public yeah. speaking or anything. I never. I, I don't, yes, I mean, I, I like it, um, like stage fright, if you will, for like speeches, like in class when I had to do that. I always hated doing speeches. Yeah, but like doing the show at Medieval Times, like the crowd wasn't even there. Like I was, yeah. like they weren't there when I was fighting. Like that was they, they didn't exist. I mean, yeah. like, and then I turned and cheered. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. And then I'll be like, go back to where I was. Like, I wasn't focused on them. Like, they weren't part of the equation um, for that aspect. It was all. It was all just don't fuck up the fight. That's all that was going through my head. See, that, that's what was really weird because we fucked. Like, using that analogy, when we were playing, we would fuck up a lot. Like, we would miss notes or anything, but it would like just not. I would get really pissed. Actually, some shows I would get pissed because we had one drummer who just would not slow the fuck down like he would get so excited so if like it's supposed to be like let's say 160 beats per minute live it would be like 220 mm. and he would just go faster and faster and faster and be like, <sighs> like he was like a punk rock drummer so that he just oh man it was so frustrating we're like we can't keep going and every time and every week because we didn't have in, again technology is different and our monitors sucked we were poor and <laughs> and whenever dolan lost his place he would just start playing a solo and it would piss me off I'd be like god <laughs> damn it dude like we'd get off rhythm it's like okay if we just chug through it it would still sound cool but it's like no it's not we're, like we're like this like slightly off so don't be like it's like i could just shred and it'll sound good it's like uh yeah okay 
let's keep going. But that, that it was funny because that shows you the two different uh, perspectives on what we play. Like I would be like, okay, let's find the drummer again. The drummer, I can't change what he's doing, but he's the the heartbeat. So then I just started playing the rhythm, trying to hear him. And Dolan's like, Dolan's mind would be like, everything's a mess. Time to shred. <laughs> let's bring it back. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. I don't it's know like if that answers your question. Most. I don't know if that answers your question at all, Marco. I I didn't hear a question. I don't, yeah, I don't know what the last question was. I do have another question. I got more. Um, so going back to like drugs, do you think that <laughs> drugs can make you more creative yeah. or like or help you unlock creativity? Absolutely. I think especially with the, uh, the research going into it now, especially with psilocybin or psychedelics. I know it's, it's not even controversial anymore. It's the war on drugs. Like talk about a more politically driven pile of bullshit for money you know it's like it's an, <laughs> yeah what and i'm not old i'm still a kid like i'm young as fuck but it's like it's crazy to think like there's politicians out there my age and then now getting the perspective on why older people vote more because it's now it's not the teacher in the room that knows everything more than you or when you go to a doctor's office it's like hey motherfucker you're like my age potentially you know it's like hey you just got a lot like med school it's like you're probably you go see a doctor, you can see a doctor that's your age now. And it's like, Hey, you're just a human being. You, you suck as yeah, much as no. I suck. You fuck up as much as I fuck up. So like the thinking of it that <laughs> way now, the people that made the rules were just the, the, the squares in school that no one fucking wanted to hang out with. And some kid was cooler <laughs> than them because they were like relaxed and didn't have a stick up their ass. It's like, it, it, it was all made for profit and everything. It's like a, one adult telling another adult what they can and cannot put in their body seems so beyond ridiculous. It's especially pretentious. Now. It's oh, incredibly yeah. pretentious. Well, especially when yeah. this is supposed to be the land of the free, right? Like yeah. I should be able to kill myself with whatever to. drugs exactly. or something that I want. If I want to, if I want to go into that spiral, I should have the decision and, to make it, that. And you know, shit, the power like, to make that decision. Anyone that's done, let's say, uh, mushrooms, you're not going to – you can't over – dose on mushrooms okay maybe there's like a few cases out there or something but like no one's going to get right. addicted I mean, there's to eating mushrooms. mushrooms like no one's going to just all of a sudden eat like well, yeah now there's, sure. now there's microdosing <laughs> no shit. matter yeah. how fun it is <laughs> no matter yeah it's like you're gonna go somewhere dark <laughs> but the fact that that's like so such a yeah to go back with like drugs and creativity i think absolutely when you think of the uh creation in my this is again just my opinion of like some of the greatest stories ever told, which is like with religions or myths. There's so many oh, connections yeah, now yeah. about how it was influenced by drugs and even releasing things in your brain, like not beyond just a dopamine of like uh, not seances, but traditional like rhythms or like and like a, a like a whole oh, like chanting and, and stuff. chanting and stuff. Yeah, like you guys, if everyone's like getting into the same cycle, you're whole body as like an organism starts functioning a different way and you start moving and then your brain starts opening up to different things it's like we're, it's so easy to be stuck in this three-dimensional world when our little flesh sacks walking around with our like trying to conceive or comprehend what's going on around us that when you do drugs it opens up a different way to to experience that that being said i didn't do psychedelics maybe this is why dylan was so much better he did psychedelics at a younger age so he was doing it in high school and shit and i remember being like you're frying your brain but he wasn't he was just getting better (laughs) but they uh uh, i didn't do psychedelics but then later on in my life when i did them there was certain times 
in a trip that I would feel what I felt when I played guitar, especially when I played guitar live in front of people. And we were like, the band was like, we were all like going through it. Like the, I was going through like a psychedelic trip playing the guitar. I was going to say when you were describing it earlier, that the way you described it sounds like part of a trip, like a trip. It yeah. sounds like you were, in you a were trance. inducing it through your music. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was definitely getting it. Yeah, I, I believe even through meditation, you can induce it oh, without yeah. a direct effect. I mean, obviously it's taking so it hard, makes the effect, you know, it's makes so hard it to shut off like your, your brain and to let it. If, if you do guided meditation, you. I, I've never what? had. If you do guided meditation, like a, if you Sam Harris, like some people like him, some people hate him, but like he has that meditation yeah. app. And man, if you yeah. if you push yourself to do thirty days of his guided meditation, I've never had a more out of body experience than I did. Like on day twenty three or something, I literally no was way. I was able. I felt like my whatever it is that I am was away from me. And I was like able to, to experience that not being in me. And it was the craziest thing, completely sober, you know, and it was, it was more of a, yeah, it was. Yes. I know exactly the, what you're talking you said about. Sam Harris. Sam Harris. Yeah. yeah. He, he, I, What's the app called? Do you know? Mindfulness. Well, it was waking up. Waking up mindfulness app. Yeah. My, my, mindfulness is like the, yeah. like it, it's a big buzzword now too. It's like mindfulness meditation. Is yeah. Kind of like, it's kind of like, the well, he made it popular word. because he, he did a good job of introducing meditation as a non-metaphysical experience that it that it's a real thing that is that you can have that is beneficial oh yeah for sure you know and i what you just described edward i i actually i had that experience when i was young i was 15 i didn't know what it was at the time but i had i had put myself through constant daily meditation and i didn't know that what i was doing was meditating i was trying to have a, an out-of-body experience because i thought that was possible but what I was doing was just training meditation. And when I finally had, I, I mean, that's what it feels like, though, when you have it, the way he described it, it's, it's an out-of-body experience. It's very like a, a very real separation yeah. feel. It's very yeah, bizarre. Is that a free app? Yeah, it was free. Yeah, you could download it for free. And then if you, free. I think you could download really? a trial for free, but then if you can't afford it, too, that it's awesome. You could just email them and explain, like, they, no question that. They give you a free year. And then yeah. just ask if you can't afford it after that. They just ask, like... Yeah, it's a it's a cool program, but yeah, and then, that, again, that's just one form yeah, of meditation. And everyone's experience is going to be different anyway. Some people might not feel that. I same. really want to try like sound meditation where they use like the the bell kind yeah. of thing. It's like a it's like a little bowl that that always and you just focus on the sound that way. You're not focusing on the internal. You're focusing on, on something that is yeah yeah. Well, just on your breathing or like with sound meditation, you're focusing so, on the the way the vibration and you're focusing yeah, on you're that. So that, you're not yeah. really. Because that's what, when I do mindful meditations, I get, I still get like those thoughts, and then I'll follow the thought, and then it's like, fuck, I'm not supposed that's to be doing why, that. And then no, I get upset. You are, you are like, supposed to do that. You are, yeah. yeah it's totally you fine. Are to, you're doing the opposite, then. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do is, is become a witness to your experience, right? Like but you're supposed to let it go by. Okay with it. No, yeah, it, it, if, 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 if you if you get lost on a thought, you're supposed to just let it take you for a ride. Well, I don't know if you're supposed to. That's kind of pretentious. That you are because no, no, no. Alan Watts talks about that too. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna get this out if it kills you. So Alan Watts talks about that. We bring him up often on this show. Uh because that is you when you are a novice to meditation, let's say, that's that's what you that's the experience you should expect to have because that's what you are doing on a daily basis anyway, unconsciously, without without conscious recognition. You're you're following thoughts, you're you're getting lost on trails, basically, right? But when you 
when you become a witness of it, what will start to happen as you allow it to just kind of do run its course is you will be you will become you will start to become stationary. Let's put it that way, right? That's why he describes it not in those words, but basically that's what he's saying. So you start to become stationary with yourself. Once you once you become more stationary with yourself, then it's very easy to fall into that position, right? That that sort of physical position, that that state of mind, right? And then from there is when you start to have like those sort of out of body experiences because you can fall into meditation very quickly. And then I I even think that like like great mystics, I think they can just I think that they're always meditating. Uh like some of the ones I've listened to, um it just seems to me like they're always in a state of meditation. They're sort of just going through life constantly meditating. Well isn't that just the same thing as zoning out then? I mean, if you want to call it that, you can look at it like that where way. You just start like stare off in the distance. And like, no, and it's and... not a complete disconnection though. Really. It's the opposite. You're just you're just always having a connection. Think of it that way. Instead of like unplugging and then waiting to be plugged back in, you're just staring at the plug. You're just sort of always paying attention to what's going on. It's like Terminator mode. It's like scan mode. You're always scanning everything. And if that if that takes you off course, then it does. And then you See, come back. But the way that Headspace, which is another mindfulness app, explains mm-hmm. it is like it's like a stream of consciousness and your stream of thought. And like the water is just like your ideas going by you. And you're supposed to let instead of like latching onto an idea, you're supposed to let the idea go by. Go by. Not yeah. necessarily think That's about it. That's the way I look idea. at it. It's like, and it's hard to, no, no, I'm not. What I'm saying, the key is not to fight. You, you got to well, drop right, the fight. Just, yeah. I if know. It, if you get I'm lost saying, in the river, then go with the river until you can land on the shore again, but right. don't fight the, the river. It's still frustrating. Well, I can yeah. tell. <laughs> I have a lot of anger. You got to let it go. The way I look at the mindfulness is like, yeah, so like Zach, when, and obviously I don't, I don't have, uh, I am not in a position to explain mindfulness by any means. I can just explain my experience with it, which is I get lost. Mm. If I don't do it guided, I can't do it. So I'm not, it's, it's something you get to practice, but it's okay. If you try to do it too much or too long at first, like it, it is natural. I look at the way I do it is like, if my mind gets trailed off and I catch myself following that, that's why I need help coming back to the breathing, but the big thing that helped me out is being reminded that 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 was okay. You didn't fuck it up because I think that's yeah. what happens is when you get yeah. in that trail of thought and you just start like going away. It's like, man, I'm just supposed to focus on my breathing. Why is this so hard? It's like it. That's it's like when you learn to, to say that like that's okay. It's like, oh man, I've been thinking about this stupid story for the past like 500 breaths. It's like it's okay. Just come back to the breath, and then it like you'll get better at catching yourself when you start drifting than just catching. It's like, okay, it's like you're in mid sentence and you start thinking like, and in, and you start breathing again and focusing on the breath. And eventually, I don't know, being like, I have to be, again, I, I shouldn't be speaking about how to do it or anything like that. Just like the, the guided meditation that he provides helped a lot because it's, it yeah, I'm going to try that same here. Yeah, randomly. You can even do it on on YouTube. He's got a bunch of free videos. That's where I started with his right. stuff. Well, yeah. if there's an app, I'll use that. The, the app sure is great because it's pretty much great. Do thing. their do the app and do the daily meditations because then that's the best. In my opinion, that's what helped me the most. Is like you do the daily med. Speaking of which, Marco, did you win? Did you do that? The challenge. I would. I've been doing Sam Harris meditation oh, since you do like the daily meditation. The the challenge I gave the daily yes, meditation. I you did it for how many days? Reminders. I wake up. 
I still I still meditate every day when I no, wake up. No, the daily meditation. When I wake up, I, I yeah, the, the challenge was the daily the meditation one to one through thirty. Did you do one? Yes, I followed that whole. Idea. What am I defending myself I right now? Yes, I, I fucking did it. You. You see, I don't I care don't, what I don't he believe believes. Yeah, you, see, you see how defensive he's getting? I, what I, I gotta, <laughs> whatever. Show me, show me your data history. I did it. I was because I was already meditating, so it was nothing. Yeah, like I, I, I did it automatically. No, I do find when I meditate more often, I, my mental state and my emotional state, especially, is more calm and like not turbulent in my own mind. Like, well, I think. Yeah, like just the more I do it, like my emotions are just better. So it's it's nice to like regain that control, in a sense. Yeah, it's like I agree. It's yeah. it's so is there anything you want to? Uh, What's up? Yeah, no, I was just gonna I was just gonna bring it uh, back around to see if there's yeah. anything else. Do you have any other questions, Zach? Cause I, I, Eddie or Edward, you you answered, you know, pretty much everything I was gonna ask you. Oh really? Um, oh, damn. If there's any final thoughts you want to bring up or anything you were thinking about, or if you yeah. have any questions, Zach. Zach's looking at his phone. I, I can do, I got one. I got a good last one if you want. Last one, sure. I mean, you got time. Whatever yeah. You okay. So, what's one thing you learned from your time being in a band that you still use to this day? Uh, one thing I learned in a band that yeah, there's a lot. That's a weird thing because like, it's like. Even- growth something that taught yeah. you like how to that's the thing i reflect yeah, a lot because I, I try I'm, i always consistently try to kill the the ego and the, the the thing i learned the most probably is how beneficial failure is that it was the biggest failure of my life i mean the amount of things that went wrong that year in every aspect of my life like literally every single pillar of my entire like what i thought was my existence besides my mother fell apart like everything else like every small thing of my identity all like the friends like a lot almost everything tore apart that, that well dave too dave travis like some of like various particular close friends they were still there but c- coming back it man it was i think the failure is what i learned the most but a lot i i think because it was such a big part of my life i mean even just playing music i played music since I was like six years old and different instruments and music's always been a part of my life. And I'm still a musician. At least I still think like, I still look at myself as a musician and the struck the things that I, when I look back of what I could have done to be more successful in the music industry, I use now in my new profession in terms of how to manage friendships around getting things done as well because it's very easy especially in my profession now to get too close to people so being able to keep the ship on course but not getting stuck on getting to a certain place it's like enjoying the progress the regression enjoying the ride and knowing that there is no end point so there's no point to rush to get there because there's nowhere to finish so right that, that that I learned, I think, through all the failures that I had, because we were it, there was always like this perpetual like weight, like I don't know if that's a good terminology, but it was like the whole time while we were playing a band, it was like waiting to make it that so this is our 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 life and this is what we do for a living. But we were doing that; that was our living. Like we had other jobs and stuff, so yeah, it was we weren't doing that full time. But to be able to play music full time is a blessing. Now I think we'd have a lot better chance because of all the outlets for independent musicians. Because we, 
again, my own dumbass, I, for better or worse, never wanted to get signed. So I ne- like that was one thing that we were like, it wasn't just to sell out. I was just so terrified. I think, again, looking back with my ego, because the thing I had to offer the band was formulating the songs, getting into a groove with the band in order to create different songs. And I felt like if we got signed, that second, third, fourth, fifth voice in the studio saying like, hey, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Like people that I wouldn't respect as musicians because they probably weren't or like some music theorist telling us to do something else or like anyone saying to do something I thought would diminish my role of even being part of the band. So we didn't want to get signed at all. We got a lot of chances to talk to executives in different labels and you know the way it works is you get signed to a smaller label and then you could get to a bigger one or whatever and then there's arguments against that if you if you enough people listen to you if we stayed in chicago and we didn't go to to europe and we just kept doing what we were doing and and rolled off of the uh momentum we had from that debonair lounge show then we would have we would have done a lot more as a band but it was a decision that now like looking back it was not an alt, it was basically like an ultimatum making a decision to ourselves. So talking about that Debonair show real quick, which is funny because the reason why it was so big is because there was a band, I'm not going to say who it was, but they were assholes and they were played across the street from us at the double door. We opened for this band and these people, it was a small shitty show. I think when we opened, there were 12 people in the audience, maybe. And, you know, it was wow. just like, it was like a cut, like probably one of our girlfriends and then some like other people. Oh, dude, so many of our shows, there was like no one there. Like you would play in front of three people yeah. or something. But you normally just play for the other bands, is basically how, how you start out. You just play for other bands. And then they bring like two of their friends and stuff, and that's what fills it up. But anyway, we were playing and these assholes stayed in their RV and we we're opening for them. They didn't even say hi, didn't talk to us, and didn't do anything they came in and one of them, i forget it was a small dog or a cat and they were like petting their cat and like they wouldn't even talk to me i went up like hey it was nice to meet you and they like wouldn't even look at me i'm like wow you're pieces of shit like no, and i want to be like no one knows who you are they're like they're signed band and they're whatever they were on tour no one gave a shit i think like 20 people showed up for them so long story longer i found out they were coming back into town and they were playing at the double door so that's when i reached out to the debonair lounge which is across the street and I was like, hey, can we play a show on this day? And then my whole goal was to make a fucking show that pulled everyone out of the Double Door, which is a bigger venue, to go to Debonair. So I got like two limos to go from Medieval Times because that's where uh, I was working <laughs> to uh, the Wick to Wicker Park, which if you guys know Six Corners of Wicker Park, it's like it's not that big of an area, I but it, it gets congested. I had adjusted, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, and I had my buddies that some were former nights and some were current nights uh, come out. We we built all of our like we built our own weapons and like and shields and stuff. And this shield said Sam Aveda on it, and we had the three guys come out. And for one of our songs, Castlevania, it started out with them doing a fight that we choreographed. So we had to push everyone out. So it looked a lot more packed than it was when it started out. So basically, put put yourself in this situation: Wicker Park. Uh, the show's late, so we played at midnight because we wanted to play uh, two minutes to midnight before we played because we're stupid. But uh, <laughs> what happened is all of a sudden I timed it out. I think that band I'm, – I'm really, I don't want to say their name because I almost did. But they started at 1030. <laughs> 
So what I did was like, okay, we're going to say everyone come in at 10. So it's 30 minutes before their show. And I knew that they would have a line outside of their door because they're waiting. So then in come two limos. We had all my friends and a lot of my girlfriends that dressed to the nines, you know, mini skirts and stuff. And we all come out. There's guys dressed up in armor and weapons and then a bunch of girls in mini skirts coming out of a limo going into Debnair Lounge. And it's in the it's middle awesome. of the park. <laughs> everyone. want to be there. And everyone's like, you know, yelling. They come out. They start smashing the shield. Like, ah, Samaveda. And then they go in. And then everyone's like waiting in line for this stupid cat petting piece of shit wannabe band. And they turn around. They're like, what the hell's going on there? So then they all left. And then we had to push everyone back because they were fighting in the, like, where the air, like, the actual floor was. So we pushed everyone back even more. So everyone had to wait outside. So it looked like we had hundreds of people waiting to see our show, but it was really probably just like 50. So then because of that, when it started, all the door had to stay open. So we were just like echoing out. And then when people heard the echoes, you know, going to a taco shop or something, they'd turn around and look and like, the hell is going on there? They walk by and they That's see people awesome. they see people fighting with an axe and a shield and like swords and stuff. And we had one guy that, that he's a stunt guy now, but I remember one part of the song right before it broke, <laughs> he ran up on top of the bar and then did a backflip from someone trying to cut his legs and did backflip. And it was like, like right when he hit the ground, it was so, it was awesome. And then right when they ended, the guy got killed, ripped out. And then they were like, yeah, go. And then I remember the rush of people just rushing up to like the main part of our songs and everything. So I was like, man, it's empty. And no one knows what to do. And if luckily one of the guys that was fighting, he was like, started like yelling and he like threw someone down. And then that's when everyone like stormed up. And so that was, yeah, we had a lot of momentum after that show. That show was awesome. And then I called the double door to see, I was like, just out of curiosity, because mind you, I thought we were going to be in big trouble because everything like, yeah, we were a band, but I shouldered everything. Like I did all of, I tried to uh, give, I tried to mitigate, not mitigate, but I tried to, you know, uh, what's it called? Like spread out the workload of shit that no one wants to do. Like make flyers, stupid stuff. Yeah. Make flyers. Find a uh, CD manufacturer to make to press our album. Get find people it, involved. Some responsibility. It, yeah, it's like like help out somehow. Other than like right. they wouldn't even fucking bring the beer. But you know, like like it's a band, so everyone should do the shit that sucks. Like try to call sponsors or try to find venues. And then and what it would happen is every time we had a show that sucked or anything, it was always my fault then because they were like, well, no one showed us. Like, we shouldn't have even done that. It's like, well, so one time we made a t-shirt design and they didn't like it. I'm like, okay, how about everyone make a t-shirt design and we press all of them. And then no one did anything. You know, it's a lot of that. So I, Ugh, even I though that. it was the band, I was the one who had to organize it. So I was terrified because I was like, we're going to be this, this vent, this whole place is trash to shit. Like they, we fucking tore it up. And I'm like, we are in so much trouble. So we went downstairs like a green room, but it wasn't. And we're like off, like coming off of our high. And they're like, hey, we're like cheers and taking shots and like ready to go upstairs. Like, hey, I forgot what her name was, but it was the owner. She's like, they need to talk to you. I'm like, here we go. And I'm like, fuck, we're going to get arrested or something. I go up and she just had a stack of fucking cash. And she's like, we didn't talk about like your cut or anything. I'm like, oh, no. It's like, she's like, what was the cut? I'm like, I forgot what the cut was. It was like 150 bucks or something. But then she was like, no, like, you no cut of the bar. I was like, no, they'll like, give, give everything to the bartenders and stuff. And then it was, it was awesome because there was a company that was like, it was just three awesome rad dudes called Unholy Empire, who's uh, Mike, who's now with Sumerian Records. 
and he's a badass. He's I I don't know if he's a, a president of Sumerian Records or whatever, but I, yeah, he's part of a metal uh, a major metal album. Or they're still called independent, but uh, label out in L.A. Uh, we had Andrew Iron Fist, who's badass, and then um, Mike Finnegan, who's yeah. They're all just there were like three fucking awesome dudes. One of them they they broke off and started doing something called Porn and Chicken, which became a huge party for in Chicago. I don't know if you guys ever heard of porn and chicken, but that was that was really an idea. Like they were awesome, but so those three guys are there. And oh like, no, I have heard of that. Yeah, so the, yeah, that sounds familiar. I don't know if you talked about it before, but I have definitely possible. heard that. Yeah, it, like there were just three <laughs> rad dudes. It was like it was one of those stories where like everything kind of aligned, and we were just lucky to meet Unholy Empire. So that they were sweet, and I was like, hey, it's like no, whatever that is, like give give it to the bartender. I think it was Mike was the bartender at the time. But we really just didn't care about the cash. My whole point of that show was to fuck over that band across the street. Like the whole the whole reason was just like this. Sounds like you succeeded. This, though. This, I was like, this is the last show we're gonna do See, before and, we go to. And Europe. you say, and you said you're lazy earlier. Like that takes a lot of work. What do you mean you're lazy? But that, that uh, like that takes a, a lot of pre planning, organization, and like getting execution. shit done. Like that is yeah, but it, that it, is not lazy. But I the. the because there's a weird thing, like it's like a, what I mentioned before. It's like I get obsessive with something, so I was obsessed with us telling that band "fuck you, you're not as good as you think," and then go to Europe. So I was obsessed with getting this. Like <laughs> I wanted to have an awesome show, get that momentum, bring it to Europe, do that tour, and then come back and have people waiting for us. Like, well, you guys are back. You guys are gonna have another show. That was my idea, but I didn't realize mm. it's like you gotta strike when the anvil's hot. If we stuck around, canceled right. that People tour, and just started playing people. all around, yeah, no one gave a shit three months later. But beyond that, it's then that was also, I didn't know how to organize and keep it going. I could have had people stroking the, or stoking the flames and doing like different, like uh, not marketing ploys, but you know, different things to keep oh, it there's going. There's plenty here. of promoters in Chicago. Yeah. They literally go, I, I used to run into people in nightclubs, and that's all they were doing. And they, they're probably poor, half of them, but they were, they would. Do they they would dress nice and they would show up at nightclubs and they just they call themselves promoters. They were all over the place. You, you saw them everywhere, every 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 you know lounge, every concert hall. But that's, and that's what they were like doing. Was just them, looking for, yeah. Which one of them can do it well? Because we didn't have we had promoters oh, yeah, and we'd have no, like two yeah. people. And this show that was the biggest show we had. So I think at the time the only band that made more money for them was the Plain White Tees. You guys remember that band? Plain White Tees, of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so then they were the only band that grossed more than we did at that place. And then I called the Double Door to see, like, hey, I was just wondering how many people uh, showed up to the show. And they were like, well, we had, uh, like, they were projecting, I think, 200 or whatever their max capacity was. Like, yeah, we're projecting like that like that much. I was like, well, how many people showed up? It's like, I don't know. And, like, it was so hard to get the answer. And then finally I talked to, I got a hold of one of the, bar managers or something like how many people were here yesterday like oh it was fucking dead we had like 15 people here they're like something was going on they're like something was going on across the street and like we got slammed i was like yes it worked that's awesome (laughs) that that was like that that was definitely yeah that was one of the most fun that's a victory man oh it was yeah it was it was yeah it was a good victory it was a terrible night after that yeah we went back to a hotel almost got in trouble for that too because we rented three <laughs> rooms and then so much shit. Yeah, it was just, I mean, yeah, it was it was a time. <laughs> you, you got to celebrate after a night like that. Yeah. Well, you see, like that's for like, sure. Like what you said, like, I am lazy, but I knew how to plan a party. Like that's something I did a lot. Like I'm sure you, 
I don't even know if you guys – yeah, you were there, Foji, for at least our last Halloween party probably. Yeah, no, I was there – I think you guys had two uh, Halloween parties at the Knight's house before, before that stopped. all stopped. Yeah. Like the, well, I was at the last one, last which was one. the one that we talked about last night. Actually, oh, yeah. we brought up the. Uh, oh, I wasn't. We there. won't name names, but like yeah. when the cops showed up and we had, oh, we had ambulances, we had po- local police, we had. Oh, really? it was an interesting party. Yeah, so it went out with a bang. That's for yeah. sure. Oh, that's good. I don't that was right before that. they sold the, uh, that Palatine. Yeah, I don't think you were there. Or no, you were there, but uh, you and uh, your wife left earlier in the evening. Oh yeah, that was that's the one my problem. I, I, didn't, I always I didn't, hang around. I need to start like leaving well, earlier. That was one I didn't. <laughs> I did not. I didn't plan that one. No, the parties. We no, you had, did not. No, yeah, the parties we had when we first started were. I mean, we had like a, a full bar set up with a bartender and like squirt oh, guns wow. filled with yeah, double yeah. juice, and <laughs> like we'd go yeah. out with like little squirt guns for yeah. That it was, yeah. So I I'm extremely lazy until I get if I have, have like focus on something that I have an addictive personality. So you get the fire. Yeah. So and I get addicted with things way too easily, like anything. I I wish I had like an obsession though. I I can't get obsessed about anything. Really? And I just kind of like I just do things because I know I have to do them. You know, it's like I I, I don't want to do anything. Like if I could just sit there and watch TV all day, I totally would. But it's like I need to get shit done. You know, I need to like work out so I can have like a healthier back. You know, I need to like get work on my house so that i can rent it out you know you know yeah, but all those things, all these fun. things that's not fun like if you if you no. if you no. like play video games do you ever play video games I'm not even into that right i i haven't in a while really but yeah like i i can play video games for a while yeah you're not get addicted like, to you know, it though no I just, I just i mean i'm addicted to laziness if anything and sugar you know what i think zach <laughs> i think uh i think deep down you're a writer a writer, yeah, yeah. yeah maybe. I, think you I do are like writer. making stories, and like that's one of the reasons I love doing the podcast is because I can just like, you know, be creative if like and verbally, it's pretty good. So I like I like that aspect of it. Talking is fun. Well, I want to say thank you, Edward, for uh, being on our show today. No, I think bad. this was an excellent uh, <laughs> episode. <laughs> Sorry, we got you frozen. It's making us laugh. Yeah, you're like in the mid laugh, or like like about to smile or something. Your face is just like wide open. So it's the most shitty thing, Ren. It's how I want to remember you if I never talk to you again. So uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. It was a good talk for oh, sure. I, I enjoyed it. That was fun. Next time we could do one with cigars and stuff. Oh man, in person. In person, hey, oh, there, there we go. go. We can do in person one cigars, talk about horses. <laughs> you gotta wear masks, though. I'm down for that. Yeah. <laughs> not for the horse talk, not the mask talk. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sweet. Leave all right. Jesus. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Peace. If you like what you're hearing, or even if you don't, that also helps. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're still listening, then please consider supporting the show. We're working hard on our passion to create quality content, and we want to bring you much more. Indeed, we've got big plans for what we want to add to Audio Pong, and we'd also love to hear from you, the audience, on topics or content Zach and I can create for you. Visit AudioPong on RedCircle.com for more information on where to support the show and where to listen. Also, feel free to contact us directly through email with AudioPong at gmail.com. Be happy. Be healthy. And, and have, have a metal, metal life. life.